What's going on, guys? Welcome back to the 50 Plus One Football Show, your home for all things Premier League and Bundesliga. I'm Billy, and joining me is the Felix to my Tony Kroos. It's Lewis. Aw, we're brothers. That's right, guys. We have a nice little host of topics for you, including starting with the Bundesliga Union's, well, I want to say bad run of form, but it's a little bit more than that. Then we will move over to the reason why Bochum are still in the Bundesliga. And then we will finish off with the Leverkusen hype train. It is really, truly up and running. Xabi Alonso has done wonders with that club and they're sitting top of the table. So, you know, you kind of can't not talk about them. Then we'll move over to the Premier League where, of course, VAR is ruling the headlines again. After this past weekend, another screw up, another monumental one. Obviously not as bad as the one against Liverpool, but um, still, it's up there. It's, again, the top match of the week. So everyone's going to be talking about it. Then we will also say adieu to one of the Premier League greats in Eden Hazard. We'll have a look at his career, why he's already retiring at 32. That is way earlier than a lot of people would have liked to see him bow out. But we will finish off with a little high note, let's put it that way. Spurs are top of the table, and we'll have a look at why. All that and more right after this. So Union Berlin started off so well. 4-1 win against Mainz. 4-1 win away against Darmstadt. And then they kind of imploded. Five losses on the trot now. Six points out of seven matches. It's not looking like a bed of roses in Berlin. And I think a lot of people who are at least in the Hertha Berlin camp can't get enough of it. Well, they had a a massive disappointment last season, didn't they? So I think they're probably going to be reveling in this. But in a way, it was always going to happen, wasn't it? Because they they got promoted, they stayed up. The next season, they improved. The season after that, they improved again and they kept improving under Urs Fischer. And where does that progression stop? Because it's, it's unrealistic to assume that they were going to challenge for the, for the Bundesliga title. Just with the, the squad of players that they have as well as they have done in previous seasons. And the added strain of playing Champions League football. I mean, that game against Real Madrid came so close to to getting something, only to leave with no points at all. So would you say that, you know, Champions League football is that much more of a strain in comparison to Europa League, for instance? Because technically speaking, it is still the same number of competitions as last season with it being three. Do you think Champions League football is just that much more of a strain that it would affect Union Berlin, who are doing it for the first time, basically, as much as it is? Yeah, I would, completely. It's so different to Europa League football because the the teams are just so much better. Um, And... The, the game against Braga, particularly being 2 0 up in that game, last kick of the game to lose that one. They, they've got Napoli still to play. 
and they have to play Real Madrid again. So it's just difficult to to do. Like there's so, and also the teams in the Bundesliga as well. Uh, Leipzig have up their game. Leverkusen have up their game. So it's going to be difficult to keep improving when other teams around you have improved as well. Well, I mean, you say improvement. Technically speaking, they did their homework over the summer, strengthening the squad as they've done. I'd say with a little asterisk, because that asterisk means on paper they've done that. Because looking at their transfers, you know, you've got obviously Brennan Aronson, who you've loaned out from Leeds. Many people were excited about the fact that Aronson was coming. Um but he's looked at more of as you know more of a talent really than someone who's going to strengthen you or strengthen your starting 11 i'd say Diego Leite, obviously they just signed him on a permanent deal they already had him last season the big one was robin gozens who you know was in the champions league final with inter last season um was now the big money transfer uh record signing um for the club and everyone was very excited about that but i'd say Kevin Farland, I think, is the best representation of their transfer window because he did seem to be, you know, that bolstering signing for the striking options. You know, he's got a breadth of experience, um, but he's not too old that, you know, you're getting him like Leonardo Bonucci so he can more or less coach the younger players and be, you know, that 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 kind of experience giving player, so to speak. You know, he's still he's He's still towards the end of his prime, if you will, at age 31. Um, he's not really performed, if we're being honest. No, he, he has struggled. And it's difficult because there are other players that aren't doing as well as last season. You look at Geraldo Becker, yeah, for yeah. example, who's not doing as well as last season. I thought it was a bit weird to loan Jordan to Gladbach, given how well him and Becker did together last season. I know Jordan didn't score as many goals, but they complemented each other quite well. So, yeah, yeah. you know, that's like taking, uh, you know, back in the day, that's like taking Rooney away from Ronaldo, or that's like taking Kane away from Son, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it was a weird one because also just looking at the stats that Folland put up, for instance, he's only played or made four appearances in the Bundesliga, two in the Champions League, um, can record exactly one assist in the Bundesliga. It's not that much. Then, like you said, you give away um, or you loan out um, Jordan to Gladbach. And the rest of the players just didn't or haven't seemed to be performing either. You know, you you take a look at, for instance, Kevin Behrens, who has now incidentally been called up to the German national team for the first time at age 32. Um, and he scored three goals on the first match day, and we were praising him for scoring a hat-trick and then riding home on his bike. Um, he scored four goals, but none of those goals has, have come in the last five weeks. So basically, since Behrens hasn't been working out, it's kind of been... Union hasn't been working out. Obviously, you know, it's not just Behrens who isn't working. The whole squad just kind of seems... To be almost having like a little bit of a... You know, a they, they're kind of like Liverpool. They're showing that the last few seasons haven't completely been, you know, recuperated. If you look at the fact that 
the manager is still the same. He hasn't, he's not going to necessarily change his philosophy. The players they've gotten in arguably have made the squad even better, at least on paper, like we've said. It seemed to be like they had done their homework and they just haven't, it just hasn't worked out. Yeah, I, I, I still think it's it's that whole, like you said, the similar thing that happened to Liverpool. They had this meteoric few seasons and I think emotionally, especially after last season, getting into the Champions League emotionally and probably physically as well, which we're seeing with a lot of players now. Yeah, yeah. Just absolutely spent. You can lose 4-2 to Dortmund, but some of the losses they've taken, you know, Wolfsburg, I'd say they're pretty on par. Hoffenheim, I'd argue they're a better team than Hoffenheim, and they're definitely a better team than Heidenheim. So, yeah, that one would have stung, I think, the Heidenheim game. But I don't think Union are in the business, like Hertha, of hiring and firing. No. Because this man, Urs Fischer, has got them to the Champions League. So he's, he's going to be given the the appropriate amount of slack to basically try and at least right the ship. I don't think they're going to fire him mid-season unless they start fighting relegation again. Yeah, unless unless there's something that happens and the players completely lose it and yeah. he, he doesn't have control of the team anymore, that's the only way I can see him getting the sack. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because he's done a fantastic job. Yeah, I think that's I think that's what we have to still take away at the end of the day is that Union are in that promised land. In the Champions League, they've been unlucky. I think, you know, you can have a slump at the beginning at the beginning of the season, but I think they still have the stuff to turn it around. But I think one team that has the stuff to turn it around, and it's mainly down to their goalkeeper, that's Bochum. So you're a goalkeeper. On average, just a, a stab in the dark, how many penalties do you reckon you would have saved in your years as a goalkeeper so far? Definitely less than twenty percent. Say maybe for maybe if it was high, it was twenty percent. If that, I'd say more like ten, ten percent, probably fifteen, maybe. Yeah, probably ten. I go with ten because I've definitely saved a few, but not like if you look at it in the grand scheme of things. Well, Manuel Riemann has faced 94 penalties and saved 34 of those. Which will get out our trusty 50 plus one sports calculator here. And that is a solid 36% if we're rounding. Which is insane. I know people are going to say, yeah, but what about the 60 that he's let in? That's not the point. No. 34 penalties is an insane amount of penalties to have saved. Particularly, it's nothing against Bochum, but in a team like Bochum, having a goalkeeper who's that good, yeah, like you said, is, is the main reason for them staying in the league. Exactly. And I mean, just to put it into perspective, Manuel Neuer has saved 22 penalties in his career. And Neuer already is, let's just put it this way, he's probably one of the more prolific shot stoppers when it comes to penalty shootouts. 
you know, we we think of uh, Italy quarterfinals of the Euro 2016, um, that famous, well, I'd say for Real Madrid, probably infamous night where Noya saved both Cristiano Ronaldo and Kaká's penalties in the Champions League semifinal 2012. Um, Champions League final 2012, he even managed to save Juan Mata's penalty in the first one. This is a guy who's stopped a fair few penalties in his career. And Manuel Riemann just happens to have, you know, 12 more penalties that he saved. That's insane. It's it's one of those stats you have to be careful with, much like the save percentage of a keeper playing for a yeah, yeah, a, a shit team. I, I don't want to call it that, but a, a team lower down in the division. I mean, that's why Manuel Riemann, for instance, in fantasy games uh, like Kickbase, for instance, is always going to be a great goalkeeper to have because he faces so many shots that he's bound, if he's a solid goalkeeper, to make at least a few more saves. For instance, Noya, he doesn't face as many shots. Exactly. And it's why when I made that Stefan Ortega video yeah gotta be careful with what stat you put in there because if you put in goals conceded it's going to sound ridiculous because he was playing for armenia bielefeld but if you put in his save percentage oh 100 it's more it's gives a, a more accurate view of him of them as a goalkeeper because yeah they're having more shots on their exactly. goal because the defense just isn't good enough in front of them yeah exactly I mean, the reason we are going off about Riemann in the first place is, of course, the fact that he managed to save a nil-nil draw for Bochum against Leipzig. And he didn't manage just to save one penalty. He saved two in that game. Completely ignoring the fact that, you know, Bochum gave away two penalties in one match, which is already, you know, bad enough as it is. Two penalties, too many. Exactly. But to have a goalkeeper who then saves two penalties. That's insane. And it's early in the season, but that's massive for Leipzig as well, because if they scored those penalties, they would have gone third above Bayern. Exactly. You know, Bochum at the moment, they're in the relegation playoff place, but they're only a point away from the team above them. So... He's doing his job. It's the players yeah, at the other I mean, end of the pitch that have to start scoring more goals for Bochum if they're going to stay up this season. Exactly, because I'd say he's, even though he does have the odd mistake in him, he's the big or one of the big reasons why Bochum has managed to stay up since they got promoted two seasons ago. Also, Absolutely, completely flew under my radar. They haven't got Gerrit Holtman anymore. No, oh, I was about to say he—he's your—he's uh, your prince. Yeah, he's on loan at Antalyaspor. Which? Why? You're in the top division in Germany. Why are you going on loan to Turkey? To be fair, he didn't have that many games or appearances even for Bochum last season. So I'd say he was either looking at spending a lot more time on the bench. And I mean, they got Pacencia from, uh, you know, who used to be at Frankfurt to back up Philip Hofmann. So obviously 
I know, yeah, Gerard Holtmann's probably more of a midfield option, but you could have also stuck him in maybe to back up in the striking places. But depth-wise, he just wasn't going to he just wasn't going to help. But I think at the end of the day, it's also one of those things for Bochum. They could also become, you know, the Augsburg of the Bundesliga who just keep managing to get out of the relegation spots. You know, Augsburg, they've managed to finish 15th six times minimum in the last since they were promoted. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. I think uh, if they didn't have Lehmann, they probably would be in the second Bundesliga by now. I, we, we'll talk more about Riemann in a second. I'm just looking at their forward options. They've also got the scourge of the German national team, Takuma Asano. No. Oh. Mate. Every time he plays against Germany. Oh. Anyway. But going back, yeah, a lot of people have called for Julian Nagelsmann to take Manuel Riemann as the fourth goalkeeper. Obviously, usually teams only take three to major international tournaments. But many have called for him to be a fourth choice so that he can be thrown in 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 the off chance that Germany do have a penalty shootout in either the quarterfinals or what what have you. I'd say quarterfinals is probably very very uh optimistic at this point but you know you never know. Do you think that it's a good practice to have like a Tim Kroll-esque goalkeeper choice just to throw in because of his penalty record? Well, yeah. In a way, because you look at some goalkeepers that are fantastic from open play, yeah, but suffer with penalties. I mean, again, sorry to use a United reference, but it's the ones that come to my mind straight away. Europa League final a couple of years ago, everyone scored their penalty against David De Gea, including the opposition goalkeeper, and it was De Gea's missed penalty. And you know, you're not expecting your goalkeeper to score his penalty. I know. Manuel Neuer has scored penalties in Champions League penalty shootouts. But, you know, going the right way and not getting a hand or going the, the right way and only just getting your fingers to it, to have a specialist. I think everyone thought Louis van Gaal was on spice. Yeah. When he took off Jasper Sillison and put Tim Crawling goal against Costa Rica. But he saved two penalties. One of which, I think Brian Ruiz was their penalty taker. So he saved the main guy's penalty and they won that shootout. So it works. I'm not suggesting it's a stat that, or a, a, I'm not suggesting it's a thing that every club should do. I'm not suggesting that, that we make this American football where you have, oh, Bayern Munich have given away a penalty quickly while they bring on their penalty goalkeeper, save the penalty, and then he comes off and the regular keeper comes back on again. Let's not do that. <laughs> but for the sake of a Euros, particularly a home one for Germany that's coming up, if he's still playing well and still doing what he's doing, I don't see any reason why he can't take him. Because let's be honest, Germany are going to be out by the end of the group stages. So you may as well just chuck him a, an appearance anyway. I mean... I'm going to sadly have to uh, deflate your hopes on Riemann making an appearance for Germany because Julian Nagelsmann has already come out and said, uh, yeah, he's done well, but I'm not yet at that point where 
I'm going to be nominating keepers just for a penalty shootout, let alone, you know, actually switching goalkeepers just for the shootout. Well, he said he's already got top goalkeepers anyway who can save penalties, which if he does end up taking Manuel Neuer, probably yes. Um, obviously, I'm not as versed in the penalty records of the others, but still. I think, you know, yeah, if if you've already got Manuel Neuer on a team who can do both, so to speak, and not just be extraordinary on the pitch, but also on the line in a penalty shootout, I guess, you know, you're set. But I think that's enough on uh, penalties and goalkeepers. Let's move over to a team who are flying high and whose bandwagon a lot of fans are going to be jumping on in the months to come. And that's Leverkusen. I'm not just on that bandwagon. I'm driving it all the way to title town. Funnily enough, you've said title town. Leverkusen do have the name Fietzekusen, which translated really means runners up Leverkusen, so to speak. And they made a clever little wordplay out of it. Would you happen to know why that is, Billy? Do enlighten me, Lewis, but I think I have an idea of a player that was involved in both of those and one for Germany as well. Well, I know the player you're thinking of right now is uh, Michel Balak because that poor guy has seen more second place medals or has collected more second place medals than any athlete in the history of sport. Probably there have been more, but it, it just seems to be he's like the most decorated silver medalist in all of football. But going back to Leverkusen, obviously Balak was in that infamous season where they finished second in the Bundesliga to Borussia Dortmund. They lost the DFB Pokal final on penalties to Schalke. Not a very good season against the Ruhrpott clubs. Um, and then they obviously lose that Champions League final to Real Madrid. All of this in the season 2002. The final in Madrid, obviously, because uh, Zinedine Zidane had that monster volley. Uh in Istanbul, I believe it was. But it wasn't just 2002 where Leverkusen have had their Fietzekusen title from. It was actually coined in 2000 by Rainer Kainwund when over a 12-year span between 1988 and 2000, Leverkusen lost out on six different titles, coming in second in a league position or losing the final. And they actually, the marketing team of Leverkusen, patented the term Fietzekusen or runner-up Kusen because it was used that much. And to add insult to injury, the marketing team also patented Meisterkusen, which has yet to be used since that patent was made. I mean, they're just a little bit, a bit of wishful thinking, let's put it that way. Yeah, that's just asking for trouble. That's like printing t-shirts before you've won a cup. That's, that's just wrong. That's hubris, <laughs> and they deserve not to have won anything. But, but they could. They could, exactly. They could. Xabi Alonso, who I'm still convinced will be the next manager of Real Madrid when Cardo Ancelotti goes, regardless of what this season has at Leverkusen. And we've well, already spoken about this. Yeah, but just to, just to put in, he does have a clause in his contract, apparently, that allows him to move if the if the chance should present itself to one of his three former clubs those being real madrid bayern or 
Liverpool. Exactly. Well, they're not getting rid of Klopp anytime. Young Klopp, at some point in this season, just completely lose it with Liverpool. Xabi Alonso could have the chance to move to Liverpool as well. And should Thomas Tuchel lose the reins of the dressing room at Bayern, he could also move to Bayern. It would kind of feed that narrative, though, that Bayern basically just want to axe the competition's best talent, so to speak. Yeah, I think the buy-in one is a bit of a of a sore one. A different league, yeah, okay, I get that. But Liverpool, I can't see them getting rid of Klopp anytime soon. Like you say, unless the wheels completely come off, which yeah. I don't think they will now. And Real Madrid, there's all that talk of Carlo Ancelotti going, uh, taking the Brazil national team job. I mean, I think Ancelotti, whether he takes the Brazil team job or not, it probably will be his last season. Hasn't he even said something that, you know, this is... I, I It has, like, last dance vibes, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, there's some last dance vibes about it. He's got the, the old guard are on their way out, and he's bringing through this crop of new, young, unbelievably talented players for Xabi Alonso just to go. Cheers, Carlo. I was about to say, I think you cannot set up the team and the club of Real Madrid better than... Carlo Ancelotti is doing right now for a competent, highly regarded manager to take over. And, you know, at the end of the day, that is going to be Xavi Alonso because I don't see him, you know, tanking it with Leverkusen this season. And like we've said, this could be the season where Meisterkusen finally becomes a term that they can use. And he's done a fantastic job, but the, the squad is fantastic. From from top to back, I'd still argue the goalkeeper, but that's my personal opinion oh, no, on, on Lucas Radetzky. defended Radetzky. I'm not going to lie. I'm... He's a good goalkeeper. I think he just makes... And this is uh, ironic coming from a, a, a man who watches Andre Onana um, <laughs> flap at a football on a weekly basis. So I think he makes too many mistakes. Um, mm. But, you know, when you've got Jeremy Frimpong, incredibly highly rated. Uh, yeah. Talk of him on the way out, but he signed that new contract. Uh, on one side, you've got Alejandro Grimaldo, the new signing that they brought in from Benfica. On the other... He's been working wonders. He's fantastic. He's, at, he's an absolute joy to watch at left-back. They've brought in Jonas Hoffman and Granit Xhaka to bolster that midfield so that Florian Wirtz can do... What Florian Wirtz does. Exactly. And the big man up front. One of my new favourite players. And it's not Patrick Schick. It's not Patrick (laughs) Schick. And it's uh, it's not Nathan Teller either. No, it's uh, Victor Boniface. One player of the month award already. Fully deserved. A little bit harsh on Girassi, but we've been through this already. I was about to say, the fact that Girassi hasn't gotten one, he he just scored a hat-trick again. Like... 13 goals in seven games. I was about to say, I mean, there's there's already talk of for Girassi about him moving, and he's got a 20 million release clause for next summer. Stuttgart are desperately trying to raise it, but at this point in time, if Stuttgart wants to cash in on Girassi, they'll probably have to sell him in the winter, and that would be, in my eyes, catastrophic for that club. That would be absolutely rancid. So he's got 13. Harry Kane has eight. 
Victor Boniface has seven goals, tied for third with Jonas. Jonas Vind, no. of all players, to have seven goals in the league, would not have picked Jonas Vind. But it's it's a ridiculous season this season. Like last season's top scorer had 16. You know, Harry That's Kane already has half of that. Sarah Garassi's three goals away. It's another hat-trick away. Which, you know, and at this point, Gillespie is putting up numbers like Haaland did last summer. He's already scored two hat-tricks. At this rate, Siri Garassi is coming for uh, Lewandowski's goal record. Exactly. That's a, that's a crazy thing. But before we move on to the Premier League, and we'll go back to Leverkusen ever so quickly, genuinely, genuinely, with a, a serious head-on at the moment, not a Bayern Munich head or a, <laughs> or anything else, is there a genuine chance here that they could do something spectacular? 100% they're not finishing outside the top three. I think that's no one, no one would uh, fight me on that. And I do believe there's a genuine chance that they could win the title. If they keep this up, that's just the question. Can they keep this up? But at this point, they're the only team in the league who have... I mean, with the exception of the draw to Bayern, they've only won every game. They have yet to lose. Um, it's. I think it's really just going to be a matter of time until we see title projections. If they make it to Christmas and they're still top of the table, I think there's a genuine chance of seeing a team that is not Bayern who are winning the Bundesliga. And in comparison to Dortmund, I think they're not going to have a problem with losing their heads when the title is on the line. Because well, so far, it's it, they don't have this pressure. None of the players who are at Leverkusen, including the manager, have this pressure of Fizikusen. That's kind of from the generation before them. They obviously know that that's kind of part of what the club is at this point but for them themselves they're just playing the best football of their lives so it's not really that much of an issue i don't think so put me down for yes i genuinely can see leverkusen winning the title well there we go you heard it here first folks the Bayern fan thinks leverkusen could win the league this season but we'll finish with the bundesliga there and now let's head over to the Premier League. Well, you said it in the intro. One of the best wingers to play in the Premier League. Yeah. Retiring at 32. Eden Hazard. Look, wow. I think for the fact that he destroyed clubs defenders the the whole the works basically especially during that time 2015 to 2019 people who are not going to count eden hazard as one of the premier league greats i can understand why because of longevity but what that man did on the pitch it was a joy to watch him play i think you know obviously we've had the the debate um who would you rather watch, Mohamed Salah or Eden Hazard? And we've both come to the conclusion that while Mohamed Salah probably has 
or is going to put up bigger numbers than Eden Hazard. It's still more of a joy to watch Eden Hazard play. He was just one of those players like Ronaldinho. He only played three years for Barcelona. But everyone remembers the magic that that man produced. I'm not saying Eden Hazard and Ronaldinho produced similar or had similar playing styles or whatnot. I'm saying they pro both produced play where you're just sitting there thinking, it's just a joy to watch them play football. He is. There is something a little bit magical about Eden Hazard. First became infatuated with him when he was at Lille. And I remember this because I was at secondary school. <laughs> there was there was all this talk, oh, you're not really going to sign this Belgian winger. He's, he's, he's like this young Belgian winger. It's really exciting. Oh, you wish. <laughs> and this was at a time that I wasn't on Twitter. I wasn't anything. So it was just going off like the papers and the, watching Sky News and things like that. And then Chelsea had to go and win the fucking Champions League, Lewis. That's your fault. So if I'm going to blame anyone for having to admire him from afar for so <laughs> many years, I'm blaming Bayern Munich. Thanks if for they that. hadn't lost that Champions League final in their own backyard, there is a slight possibility I could have watched him play for my club. But I rub that in. I watched him from afar and loved every minute of it. Because the goals he scored, there there weren't any shit goals. No. You know, they were all amazing. His dribbling was sensational. Remember that goal he scored against Arsenal? I think it's Coquelin that tries I was to, to say, take I was him out. I about to mention that one. Coquelin tries to take him out, essentially tries to give himself a piggyback. Just brushes him off, cuts through uh, Laurent Koscielny and puts it past uh, Petr Cech, I think it was. So... The one against West Ham where he dribbles through. The one, the goal that won Leicester the league against Spurs. The <laughs> first time shot from outside the air. It just curls it into the top corner. I'm sounding like, you know, I'm not a fanboy. I am not a groupie. I am an academic. But, but there was, there was a flip side to the magic of Eden Hazard. Yeah. And that was his injury record. The injury record. And we see it a lot with flair players. The muscle problems, the the hamstring, the calf so injuries. Ankles. Yeah, ankles and things like that. But he wasn't known as being injury prone when he was at Chelsea. I don't if I think if you asked anyone who watched him during that time, oh what was your opinion of Ed Nazar? Injury prone isn't one of the ones that would come to their mind. The fact no. he missed four matches in total was the largest the number of matches he missed and that was because he had ankle surgery over one summer he had 80 days out and that was it, it was his longest period but for real madrid you know he got that 115 million pound or 115 million euro move he won chelsea the europa league he got his dream move to real madrid the club he wanted to play for he took the number seven shirt Exactly. Because Ronaldo had gone to Juventus. It was billed to be this. He was at the peak of his powers, at the top of his game. It was billed to be this fantastic. You know, I'm watching that Beckham documentary on uh, Netflix. Yeah. Florentino yeah. Perez talks about David Beckham was a player who was born to play yeah. for Real Madrid. Edin yeah. Hazard was a player born to play for Real Madrid. Yeah. 
but his body had other plans and missing 473 days due to injury. That's 95 matches. I mean, his injury page uh, on Transfermarkt, there are three pages of injuries on there. There's over a page just for his injuries at Madrid alone. You know, it, it really never came together for him. He had 76 games in total over a four-year period in which he just managed to notch seven goals and 12 assists. That's a solid season for an above-average winger in the Bundesliga. But not a career that spans four seasons no. at one of Europe's biggest clubs. Especially after a 115 million euro move. And unfortunately, that is how some people will remember Edin Hazard as a 115 million pound mistake. And he's so far from that. You know, yeah. 110 goals, 92 assists for Chelsea in 352 games. You don't play 352 games for Chelsea in that period of their success if you're a, a mistake. Exactly. You know, uh, no Ballon d'Or, but in that period dominated by Messi and Ronaldo, only Luka Modric picked one up. And I've got a quote from Joe Cole uh, that said, he should have been the best player in the world. That little spell where Luka Modric won the Ballon d'Or, that should have been Eden Hazard. He could have lived a life like Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, ice baths at 1am and all that. That's not him. If he had probably, uh, if he had, he probably would have won every personal award out there, but Edin did things his way. And you listen to ex-players that played with him. Oh, in training, he was shit. You know, in training, it was half-assed. It was, yeah. I'll do the bare minimum to get through this training session. And match day, flicking a switch, it turned it on and was fantastic. Uh, there's that story. I can't remember which particular Lille player it is that tells it, but his last game for Lille. Oh yeah, I remember this one. The the night before, they go out, get absolutely plastered. Edin Hazard still drunk. The, the morning of the match, rocks up, scores a hat trick, comes off. And yeah, and then that's his final match. He leaves with you know, you know, probably he one goes, of his best performances in a Lille shirt. And and for Chelsea to pick up a player like that for thirty five million euros exactly is absolutely insane and for the sake of 15 goals i was about to say if if todd Whack. bowie had been the owner at the time hazard would have cost a hundred well you think about okay uh, summer coming up for between this one and next season there's a young player from lille who's who's had a fantastic season and Chelsea want to buy him. There is no way that player goes for 35 million euros. No. Because Chelsea think that they have to pay double what the asking price is under Todd Bowley. But that's a whole different issue. I think to just round off the retirement of Eden Hazard, it's just a shame that a career like that more or less went down the tubes when he turned 28 because if you think about it 28 to 32 should have been his prime years possibly you know, but you think about sorry um 
you say that, but you look at flair players. So you mentioned Ronaldinho being at Barca for only three seasons. The nature of the way he played, he burned so hot and so fast that yeah. it was only going to end early, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But, you know, someone put up a stat. I think it was only 30% of professional players that play in the top divisions retire earlier than Eden Hazard. Exactly. But, I mean, if you... If you look at, for instance, um, you could almost liken this to uh, positional play in the NFL, for instance. If you look at the the uh, the position of the running back, who basically usually gets the handoffs, the pitches, and whatnot, or the short passes, and then has to run through defenses. Running backs are small, compact, and very fast and extremely muscular. Part of the or part of the reason being that they just have to have the muscle to pad the amount of hits that they get. And their careers are definitely shorter. And it's the same thing with player players. They're the players who are going to be running down the wings, taking the most tackles from a defender. So they probably won't have the longevity because they're injured more often than not. You look at Ian Lobham having a career until 35. He spent so much time injured that also a lot of players had said he probably could have retired at 33 or 34. It's the same deal. Well, let us know your favorite Eden Hazard memory on Instagram and Twitter, but let's move on to Arsenal Man City. Mikel Arteta finally has that win over Pep Guardiola, but it's not without a little bit of controversy. Yes, exactly. And what would a bit of controversy be in the Premier League without our good old friend VAR? Because for me, it's not the fact that Kovacic could have been sent off for two yellows. It's the fact that he wasn't given a straight red for this challenge. It just, just right off the bat. It's a challenge in the middle of the pitch. And he goes through the back of Martin Udegaard, gets a yellow. VAR even check it for a possible red card decision, and it stays at the yellow. That, for me, almost as bad as what happened at Liverpool. Because I would have, I would love to hear the audio, the audio recording. Because I want to know what possessed the referees to have a look at that challenge and go, that doesn't fit the criteria for a red card. Because the criteria for a red card is quite simple: a challenge from behind, no chance of playing the ball, studs up, blatant disregard for causing serious injury to your opponent. Any one of these criteria can give you a red card or get you a red card. And this challenge meets all four. Particularly when you look at what Mal uh, Matt Augusto was sent off for, for Chelsea against Burnley. I'd say almost identical, probably a uh, not as bad as the Kovacic one. It's not as bad as a, as a mistake as the, the goal that Liverpool had chalked off. I think it would have been yeah, okay, yeah. had Kovacic had some part to play in the winner. Yes, but for me, the thing is, if Udegaard has planted his right leg, his leg is snapped in two. He is extremely lucky that he only had, you know, a, his, the ball of his foot max on the ground and thus had a little bit of, you know, a little bit of give when... Kovacic clattered into him. His, if his foot had been planted, that would have been a serious injury. 
one that could have been season-ending for Erdegaard, who incidentally is one of Arsenal's best players at the minute, and was last season already. Yeah, okay, I, I get I get the point, but the the referees and the officials always talk about mitigating or aggravating circumstances. So a mitigating circumstance here would be that his foot wasn't fully planted. I'm not excusing it. I'm not excusing it at all. But I am I'm just trying to play devil's advocate in a way and come I know, up with but playing devil's advocate in this situation. His foot doesn't need to be planted for that to be a red card in every every rule book, every day of the week. It shouldn't be a question. I get that the Premier League is probably one of the more physical leagues or the most physical league, and that's also a reason what or one of the reasons why it's considered to be the best league in the world. But there's a difference between a more physical level of play and completely... You know, it should it should have injured Udegaard the way he was the way he was tackled. He's extremely lucky not to even walk away from that. And it's just unbelievable to me how not only a referee. I mean, the fact that the that a referee can look at that and go, mm, "I'll give him a yellow." I don't see it as being a straight red. But for then VAR to look at it and see nothing wrong with the decision on the pitch, it's just inexplicable for me. Well, I, I saw something, someone wrote somewhere that uh, Michael Oliver didn't want to give two yellows in quick succession to get the player sent off. This is a referee who sent Gabriel Martinelli off against Wolves for a foul at the start of a phase of play and a foul at the end. He said, oh, you've got one booking for the foul up there. Another booking for the foul here. That's a red card and you're off. So it's not like he can't do it. But again, it just goes back to the fact that the officials in England are absolutely awful. And we've got a show over here. It's called Miked Up with um, Howard Webb and Michael Owen. And yeah, they released some audio. But they've released the audio from uh, Anthony Martial's was offside. Uh, United scored a goal against Brentford that was that was given offside. And Martial is clearly offside, clearly touches the ball, which then deflects it in off a player into his own net. And they've released that audio and they're like, oh, you know, this is VAR. This is a, a call going right. We don't want to see that. <laughs> I don't want to see the PGMOL, for lack of a better phrase, sucking their own dick. Yeah, I was about to say that's the that's biggest amount of PR done to basically make you look good. You know, I want the I want the the audio from this red card uh, check. I want the audio from the mistakes, the the fuck ups. We don't want to hear VAR getting it right because the nature of officials and the nature of VAR is that you shouldn't have to notice that it's there. Exactly, as we've said multiple times. But let's not get bogged down in this again because my blood pressure is rising. Let's not take away from Arsenal. And for, for a lesser extent, how bad Man City were. Um, <laughs> but City were on top. Arsenal presented very little in the first half. Gabriel Martinelli came on. Completely changed the game. In the absence of Bukayo Saka. Yeah. I know he's just coming back from injury and he couldn't 
probably manage a full 90, but the difference in first and second half, the difference between Trossard and Martinelli, the impact was night and day. Because Trossard was coming inside, Carl Walker had all this space to manoeuvre because he's no, he's got the beating of Leandro Trossard for pace. Yeah. Gabriel Martinelli gave him something to think about, pinned him back, stayed wide, which is what you want from your wingers. You want them to stay wide and stretch play. And yeah, okay, the winning goal was a horrible deflection. I was about to say. <laughs> horrible, horrible deflection. But does this feel... I mean, City will probably go and win their next game 11-0 and Haaland will score nine of those because he he was almost non-existent. William Saliba played fantastically well against him. Didn't give him any space, didn't give him any, any time to gather any momentum. He was on him. Stuck to him, if you will, like shit to a blanket. So where does this put us with the title race this season? Because we'll talk about Spurs in a second. But where does this put us with our City going to dominate again? Are Arsenal going to push them even further? Is there a possibility that Spurs could push them even further? Is this almost like the end of City's period of complete and total dominance? Or is this just one game lost on the back of a horrible deflected goal? Well, I mean, if we're talking about just one game lost, City did lose to Wolves previously. Well, no, I mean, you know, against Arsenal. I know they've lost back-to-back Premier League games. Exactly. That's but that's that's, the first time since 2018. I mean, exactly. That for me is is the stat there. First time since 2018 that's happened. Um, There has been the talk even here in Germany if the the magic of manchester city has kind of gone in a puff of smoke i would argue no because pep guardiola is still one of the best if not the best manager in the world they still have a squad that not some top teams even dream of having at one point in their history i'm not just talking you know the are the uh the brentfords of this world or the Darmstadts of this world dreaming of having a squad like that. I'm talking like Borussia Dortmund would love to have a squad like that. I'd argue to a a lesser extent, Bayern Munich would love some of those players as well. Oh, 100%. There There are players in that city squad who would beat out many top team players for a starting 11 in Europe. So to say that just because they've lost for the first time back to back games, since 2018, all of a sudden, the, the magic's gone. I would be very, very careful in mentioning that. We're only eight games in. Exactly. Let's, let's be honest. We're only eight games into a season. But where Arsenal and Spurs have drawn two games, City have lost those two games. Now, if this is City last season or the season before or the season before that, I think they find a way to draw those games, you know, late goals. Yeah. Haaland saving it. Haaland's late goals. Raheem Sterling, before he moved to Chelsea, scored a lot of late goals. De Bruyne, I think, is a big, big miss for Manchester City right now because you you cannot underestimate the influence that KDB has on that team. 
Oh, massively, massively. He's he's he is their best player, without a shadow of a doubt. And like you said, to call it finished, I think is. Well, it's just that word that that we use a lot. It's reactionary. Yeah. You know, City aren't used to losing two league games in a row. But they've got the players and the resources to completely overhaul this. I mean, look, they've they've started seasons worse than this by drawing games and things like that. So I'd even argue last season, a lot of people were looking at the table, even um, looking at Arsenal already at Christmas or the start of uh, 2023 and thinking City aren't really, you know, as dominant as the last few seasons and they still managed to win the league. So it's, I think, you know, they still definitely have, like I said, the players and the manager to turn this around. But it's not only Arsenal who's breathing down their necks right now, or even at this minute past them in the table. It's another North London club, and that's Tottenham. Tottenham Hotspur. Yes, let's finish with Spurs because they play the way they want to with Big Ange Postacoglu. Ange Ball, Postacoglu Ball. I, I forget which, which term we use more. Ange Ball. There you go. And it's working. It really is. And, you know, everyone, both of us included, thought they had a shit time of it last season and they had Harry Kane's 30-odd goals to you know, at least get them out of the middle of the table. Now they sold Harry Kane, and a lot of us were thinking, let's see how well they get on. New manager, no Kane. It's going to be very bleak for Spurs. Spurs are now joint league leaders with Arsenal, and that's without Harry Kane, who, much to my chagrin, is right now sitting third in the Bundesliga with Bayern. Um... I'm well, not going to give credence to the Harry Kane curse. I'm sorry. Screw that. I'm not going to. I can raise my eyebrows all you want. Yeah. It's not going to happen. But I mentioned this after they sold Harry Kane, that were we going to see another incarnation of the Bale 7? Yeah. You know, where it was absolute dog shit players. The only one worth the money was Christian Eriksen. But yeah. it's arguably at the moment, gone the other way because Mickey van der Ven has looked fantastic did for Wolfsburg last season last season uh Guillermo Vicario the goalkeeper a lot of people that you that you heard and and read about going mm, okay fine but he's not is he Tottenham standard is he good enough to be in the Premier League has been Fantastic. Destiny Adugi or Adugi, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that. I know they bought him last season and loaned him back out to Udinese, but he's looked great. Yeah. James Madison, fantastic. Oh, that was one of their best buys, arguably. One of, I'm going to put it out there, probably buy of the window, I think. And the reinvention of that holding midfield too, with Pape Sar. And Eves Basuma. Yeah. He's fantastic. Eves Basuma looks a completely reinvigorated figure. He was fantastic for, for Brighton. We know that. But under yeah. Conte, it just didn't look like no. he, he'd settled, didn't look like he, he knew what he was doing, didn't look, look like he knew how to kick a ball. And now he's been fantastic. Okay, look, 
the red card for diving pretty spectacular because it was an awful awful fucking dive but the way he plays football is pretty fucking good and i think still a little bit left to be desired on the bench yeah the depth i think is going to be the 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 achilles heel so to speak of that squad yeah because you see now if james madison for instance has a knock like he's had in in the last two weeks um there's not a lot to back him up no there's not a lot to backing up but you know oliver skip is a capable player um hoiberg wanted out but he's still there alejo veliz is a a rough uncut gem if you want to put it that way i think he needs a bit more a bit more time to mature a few more games possibly a loan move I was about to say, like a promising up-and-comer, so to speak. But enjoy it. Yeah, Spurs fans enjoy it because this is this is probably some of the best football that Spurs have played since they uh, challenged for the title a few years ago. And that was during the times of uh, Harry Kane and Hoiming Son tearing the league apart. Um, do you think, though... I know we just ripped into the squad depth, but do you think even with that squad depth that is only passable at best, do Spurs have a genuine chance of being that third horse in the title race with what looks like to be right now just Arsenal and Man City? Or which, sorry, which last season looked to be just Arsenal and Man City? I think Liverpool might have some words to say. I think no. It all depends on fitness of players and because uh, momentum changes in football. So you're saying the squad depth is going to be that much of a problem that they can't carry it through a whole season? Oh, no. They, they probably will carry it through all of this season because they haven't got any European football. True. You know, if they were like Union, I'm not comparing Spurs to Union, by the way. Um, but if they were playing Wednesday on Tuesday nights, I think it would be a bit more difficult. So you probably won't see a fair representation of the squad depth until next season because they're definitely finishing top four, barring something strange happening. That how good that squad is. Yeah. And there's also another window in there for them to buy squad players, but you know, who come third in a two-horse race? Tottenham fucking Hotspur. <laughs> and on that note, I think that's probably the perfect place to leave it for this week. And as always, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to 50 Plus One Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And make sure to check out the 50 Plus One Football Show on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, and Spotify. But Thank you very much for listening, guys. Keep calm and love the beautiful game.